Hey everybody, my name is David Malley and I started a story slam called Everyday Short Stories. So our next story comes from Jennifer who's actually the owner of McLeod's. And Jennifer tells a really beautiful story about playing bagpipes, her family, um, and not to play favorites, but I think this might have been my favorite story from that night. I know you can't see this very well, but this is my mama. Oh, I left my notes back there. Shoot, I'm gonna have to do it without notes. No, a friend of mine drew. It's a portrait of my mother that was rendered from a uh, photograph. I can move closer. It was rendered by a photograph of her hanging out with some of her and my dad's friends when they were in college or something. Thank you. Uh, I was so glad that I got to go next because believe it or not, I am actually named after a tobacco shop. How could that, I'm probably the only person in the whole world that has ever been named after a tobacco shop. No, yeah. There you go. My dad had a tobacco shop on Colorado Boulevard in the 60s called Anastasia's, and that's my middle name. So, All right, so um, uh, my work story is about being a bagpiper for funerals. This is a side gig of mine uh, that I started doing after I learned to play well enough to play in public. And um, I was very nervous at first. I didn't know what to do. Everyone has a different request. And I don't know, I'd never been to a funeral before. I had one experience when I was in high school where a friend of mine had a family friend who died and we went to the funeral home to go look at the body. And as soon as I got to the doorway, I started to giggle incessantly and I couldn't stop. So I stayed back and that was kind of my only experience <laughs> Being around a dead body was just like giggling and not being able to stop. So I was a little nervous about doing um, funerals. But after I did a few funerals, I, um, I started to enjoy it. And uh, I've done so many different funerals. Like most of you have gone to funerals because someone you knew died. But um, I was able to go to other people's funerals. I didn't know them, and uh, it was a very interesting experience. I've been to really massive funerals. One time I did a funeral um, for a soldier who was shot down in a Black Hawk helicopter in Afghanistan, and my whole pipe band was hired to do his funeral. And it was massive. We went down to Orange County to do the first half of it, and then we drove in a convoy up to the Westwood, and did the rest of the funeral there outdoors. The muse was there. So many people in uniforms. There were some uh, very wonderful rituals that were carried out there, and that was a huge honor to do that funeral. And uh, on the other side, I've done a tiny little funeral. The smallest funeral I ever did was at a um, cemetery in Westwood where Marilyn Monroe is buried. And this woman called me at the last minute, could I please go there and help her with her mother's funeral. And literally her mother had died and they didn't have any plans for where she should be buried. And so they, um, she was cremated, so she was in an urn, so she didn't need that much space. And that this funeral home found a spot between 
uh, some roots of a tree and gave her that spot for her mother's ashes. And it was just me with my bagpipes, her with a violin and her sister. And it was just the three of us saying goodbye to her mother. So I played some things on the bagpipes and then she played some things on the violin and sang, it was super intimate. And uh, I couldn't believe that they felt strongly that they wanted a bagpiper there, but um, I'm glad they chose me. And then afterwards she said, you should really check out the cemetery. It's really interesting, a lot of famous people are here. So I created a whole photo album of all the famous people that were buried there. I already mentioned Marilyn Monroe, but also like Farrah Fawcett and um, <clears throat> I'm not good at coming up with names on the fly, that's why I needed my notes, but anyway, suffice it to say, a lot of very, very, very fam famous people. If you've never been there, it's in Westwood, and um, everyone's there. In fact, I went to the little area where they, um, the crypt, I don't know what it's called, no, where they, they bury you in a drawer instead of in the ground, and I found Buddy Rich there, so that was cool. I felt a little guilty walking around and kind of having a good time after helping this woman bury her mother, but she had encouraged me, so. I didn't feel too bad. Um, another interesting funeral, one that really hit home, was for a UPS driver. He was very popular. Really, a lot of people had showed up to his funeral. And he was in a golf foursome. And um, his three buddies showed up to talk about him. And man, I could hardly hold it together. I realized how important that friendship was. I mean, these guys had been golfing together for t you know, like 20, 30 years through marriages, divorces, uh, children, graduations, all those kinds of things. I mean, it really made me realize that friendships sometimes are more important than even our own spouses because, you know, as we all know, those come and go sometimes. But these, for this, these four guys were together for many, many years. When I got home from that funeral, I was like, honey, you need to find some golfing buddies. <clears throat> I encourage you all to do that <laughs> or something, you know. Um, Another interesting funeral I did one time, I did with my friend John. I think I kind of took him as protection because I had gotten a call to go do a funeral uh, uh, for some Hell's Angels. And uh, funnily enough, I don't know why I say funnily enough, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, there was a rabbi doing that service. And it was at a, fun uh, a uh, not a funeral home, but a cemetery not far from here. And um, so we were there, a bunch of hell's angels, as tough as you might think. Uh, there was a widow there. I don't know if she was a wife or a girlfriend, and this uh, rabbi was there doing the service. Well, so at some point through the service, some of the hell's angels kind of lost interest, or maybe they were too uncomfortable with the sadness, or I don't know really what happened. But a few of them decided to kind of get up from their chairs and just go a few feet away, and they started to talk. And uh, the talking got louder and louder, and pretty soon they were like loudly laughing in the middle of this funeral, noticeably so. I mean, people started looking, and it was, even for Hell's Angels, it was not proper etiquette. <clears throat> so at one point, one of the Hell's Angels got really irritated, and he looked over and he said, hey, shut the fuck up! And everyone was really quiet. And then the rabbi just looked at the guy and he said, are you talking to me? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we, did, we got through that funeral. The interesting thing about that was then afterwards, the bagpipers and the rabbi 
and some other sort of hired funeral hands were all standing around wondering when we would get paid because this crying widow was the only one with the checkbook and nobody wanted to go over there and ask her for the money. So it was a little bit awkward, but we did end up getting paid. Um, so that was an interesting funeral. So I realized after doing a bunch of these funerals that I really like doing funerals. Um, and I started wondering about that. And then I, I really realized, like, I have never been to a funeral of my own family. Never, a single time. Never, never. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's not because people haven't died. I mean, what happened was my, um, my grandmother had five siblings, and they all lived in Venice. And uh, so I had a lot of great uncles and aunts. And one by one, they died. They sort of faded away. No one ever said anything like, oh, hey, let's go to you know, Uncle Joe's wedding, uh, you know, funeral. So um, I started to wonder about this. Like, not a single person in my family had had a funeral, including my own mother, who uh, had multiple sclerosis, and she died, and uh, my, she was whisked away and cremated, and um, I don't know what happened to her. I think she was disposed of in a mass scattering of something. I don't know. So one day I decided to talk to my dad about it because I kind of was blaming my dad. It must be his fault. Like my dad was the kind of guy that didn't show up to concerts and he wasn't very supportive. And, you know, I, I kind of pegged on him. Well, it must be his fault that we didn't go to any funerals or that my mom didn't have a funeral because why wouldn't he tell us? He must have known there were funerals. So I asked him one day, I said, Dad, you know, I've been playing bagpipes at a lot of funerals, and I remember I realized that we haven't been to any, so why is it that there haven't been any family funerals? And he said, oh, funerals. He said, well, my dad died when I, I went to my dad's funeral when I was 14 years old, and it was the worst goddamn day of my life, and I swore right then and there I was never going to go to another goddamn funeral. So I accepted that. I felt like I had been putting blame on him, but maybe there was a side to the story that I didn't know. So I brought this beautiful picture of my mother, who's never had a funeral. And so I'm inviting you all here tonight to share a little tiny tribute to my mother, Jean Christiana Carlson Goldberg. And I'm going to play my pipes for her.
Hey everyone, one of our favorite sponsors is the Humble Bee Cafe located in Northridge, California. Fantastic food, fantastic location, um, amazing, almost all of it's organic, fantastic pizzas, so check it out if you're in the valley. All right, uh, another in-law story. This one comes from my father-in-law, Ken, and this is a story about when he was a high school English teacher and dealing with a disruptive student. Well, um, every teacher has that story, that moment in the classroom when, um, thank you, that moment in the classroom when uh, some disaster was about to happen, chaos was about to envelop the day, and, and they said that one brilliant thing, that <clears throat> amazing, insightful, wonderful thing that turned the whole situation around and created a, a moment of education and imparted wisdom to all of their students and they tell this story for the rest of their lives. This isn't that story. <laughs> this story, actually when I think about it, is kind of the exact opposite of that. I was a very young teacher and uh, I had a room full of 10th graders and I was discussing a short story that we had just read and pointing out the literary technique of the of the author and uh, had just pointed out his brilliant use of suspense when I was interrupted by a voice from the back of the room saying, what's suspense? Now, if it had been a different student, if it had been one of those A students or B students sitting in the front row, I probably would have just answered the question and overlooked the fact that they'd interrupted me. But this was Scott. And Scott was not an A student. He was not sitting in the front of the row, uh, in the front row, hanging on every bit of wis wisdom that dripped from my mouth. He was... Uh, actually sitting in the one seat that was as far away from me and as close to the door as he could conceivably get. And he wasn't taking notes or looking forward. He was sitting at an angle looking out the door with one arm draped over the back of his chair. And he didn't even bother to turn around and look at me when he tossed this question into the middle of my lecture. He just yelled it out while looking out the doorway. <laughs> and something happened to me in that second. Something in my brain sort of fell into place and I stopped talking and I gave him an icy stare and the room began to get very quiet. And then I reached under the lectern that was sitting on my desk for something that wasn't there. It's actually significant that it wasn't there. 
what I was reaching for was a pad of referral forms. These are forms that a teacher fills out uh, to tell the office exactly why the student has done something so disastrous, so impolite, so uh, disruptive that the teacher is incapable of dealing with it and needs the help of the office to take over. And what the entire, every student in that room knew was that uh, the way the office reacted to these forms was in inverse proportion to how often a teacher used them. So if a teacher sent three or four students a day to the office, those students generally just got told to sit until the period was over and maybe a kindly counselor would toss them a piece of hard candy or something and that would be it. But that pad wasn't there. And the reason it wasn't there is that I never sent a student to the office. And the entire class knew that, which is why things kept getting quieter and quieter. They knew what I was looking for, and it wasn't in the middle drawer of the desk, and it wasn't in the top drawer on the right-hand side or in the next drawer down as I rummaged around. And finally, I found it in the bottom drawer on the right-hand side and brought it up and gave Scott, Mr. Wonderful, uh, another icy stare, and then began to chronicle his sins. And I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote, and then I wrote, and wrote. And when I completely filled the side of the form that was allotted for the complaint, I tore it off the pad, turned it over, and started on the other side. <laughs> and I explained the defects in his character, um, in his manner, in his attitude, in his rudeness. Um, I just didn't stop. And finally, I had to take another sheet off the pad and use it to fold this one, because you weren't supposed, you were supposed to fold them over so that the students didn't see what it was you had written. And instead of the one staple, I stapled all the way around three sides <laughs> to make absolutely sure that Scott could not peek on his way to the office and prepare a defense. So when I'd finished this, you could hear a pin drop in that room. 34 students staring with white eyes straight ahead with their hands. Even Scott sitting there with his hands folded on his desk. And I looked at Scott and walked over to this wall, down the side of the classroom, slowly across the back, rounded the corner so that I stood between him and the door that he would like to escape through. Held out that form, and as I tore it in half, 
I said, that, Scott, was suspense. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Everyday Short Stories. I'm your host, David. If you really liked it, go to my YouTube channel or my Facebook page or even my website, everydayshortstories.com, and give us some love. And don't forget to tell your everyday short stories.